Hello and welcome to Interfilm Recommends, a regular podcast for film club leaders to explore exciting new titles with their clubs. My name's Maria and I'm joined by Michael. Hello. And this is our sixth episode of 2018. This is our final podcast before a summer break. In today's secondary themed podcast, we'll be discussing two films which explore gender in different ways. The Post and then A Fantastic Woman. So let's begin with The Post. So The Post is Certificate 12, but we've recommended it for a 14 plus audience on our website. It contains strong language and a brief moment of battle violence. The Post is a true live drama about the Washington Post fight to publish a series of documents proving a government cover-up on the reality of the Vietnam War. Michael, could you just expand a bit on that, please? Yeah, so it's set in 1971, uh, a time in which Catherine Graham is the first female publisher of any major US newspaper, in this case, the Washington Post. And she takes on the ownership after the death of her husband, and it also previously belonged to her father. Uh, When her editor, Ben Bradley, learns of this government scandal related to the Vietnam War, he pushes for her to allow him to publish the story, especially as their rival, the New York Post, are doing the same thing. But when a court threatens legal action, Catherine Graham must decide between the paper's security and her duty to the public. So, can I ask you a hypothetical question? Oh dear, I don't like hypothetical questions. Well, I don't think you're going to like the real one either. Do you have the papers? Not yet. This is a devastating security breach that was leaked out of the Pentagon. The most highly classified documents of the war. So I haven't watched this film, but the Steven Spielberg films I've watched are mainly um, films like Jurassic Park, mainly action films. Um, How does he approach telling a story that deals with the newspaper press? Yeah, it's interesting that um, Spielberg's obviously known for different types of films to different people. So he has his phase with uh, family films, he's done plenty of sci-fi, he's done action, as you mentioned, and more recently he's uh, turned his eye to politics. So his political films in the last few years include Munich, uh, back in 2005, and then more recently Lincoln in 2012, Bridge of Spies in 2015, and now The Post. Um, It is obviously true that he's very much known for his set pieces and being able to direct blockbusters with big budgets. But he puts that expertise into good use here. Okay, so how does he situate the horrors of the Vietnam War within the script? He starts the film with a a sort of action sequence within the Vietnam War, which is quite surprising because I think most other directors would deem it unnecessary, particularly the complexity, the logistics of the whole thing. Um, but this reminds you, first of all, that we're dealing with a guy who made Save Private Ryan and, and films of that ilk. And it just shows off that he's he's not only able to do this, but he's got the desire to still um, shoot scenes like this, despite the rest of the film very much be more of a, a sort of talky uh, and more about ethics and morality and, and legalities and things like that. Beyond that, he stages any sort of action that there is nicely. He shows a genuine affection for the printing presses as well. So we see shots of the mechanics of the papers being processed. So there's, as I say, a genuine affection for that. Um, He makes the drama riveting really through the dialogue, uh, through the characters and their repercussions. And the smallest moments in this film are given the grander stage 
because we know how impactful they are and how impactful they're going to be on modern history. Uh, he also trusts his actors to deliver the big moments. So in the case of Bridge of Spies, it's Mark Rylance and Tom Hanks. And in this film, it's uh, Tom Hanks. And the film is very much led by a terrific performance from Meryl Streep, as well as uh, supported by a, a very, very capable ensemble cast. It sounds like a really complex film and also one that deals with a lot of important topics. Could you tell us a bit more about these themes and also um, how you think they might still be relevant for audiences now? So it absolutely deals with lots of difficult topics uh, and the many different ways you can explore and discuss this film. So things like freedom of the press, political corruption, gender representation uh, and legal issues as well. Uh, the central question the film poses is whether or not to publish these papers, which are damaging to the government and they're clearly in the public interest, but whether or not the Washington Post should refrain from doing that because of this legal action and it's in this uh, court injunction threatened upon them. And this isn't so much a moral dilemma regarding whether or not publishing is you know, morally right, because it clearly is, um, but it's about whether they should risk the future and security of the company, including the dozens of livelihoods that are part of that. Uh, so really it's about um, whether or not that sacrifice would be worth it. And that decision is largely down to Catherine Graham. So it's all about her responsibilities that she has taken on and the legacy of, of the paper that she has to live up to really. So that's Meryl Streep's character, and it seems she plays a huge role in the film. Um, and also, she seems to be one of the only women in the um, in the press office they work in. Does the film explore some of the difficulties women face in the workplace? Yeah, it's, it's very much a film about gender roles and representation. And we have seen similar films to this before, um, and many of them are very good, but they are largely about groups of men making decisions. So you've got films like Good Night and Good Luck or Spotlight, which do that very well. And if there is a um, female cast member involved, she's usually part of the ensemble at the very best. In this case, Catherine or Kay Graham, uh, played, as you say, by Meryl Streep, is front and centre. So everything goes through her and she gets to make all of the decisions. And she certainly doesn't take this responsibility lightly either despite the fact that she's often questioned and sometimes even undermined by those men around her. I think a few of them have already made up their minds that she's not up to the job before she's even had a chance to prove herself. There is a lovely scene as well between Catherine and her daughter, which really reminds you that this film is about women, women in the workplace and, and mother-daughter relationships even. Uh, it went so far as to remind me of Lady Bird in that brief moment. And none of this is a coincidence, I should say. So this is a film co-written by a woman named Liz Hanna. And impressively, really impressively, it's her first feature screenplay. And she went on to be uh, Oscar nominated and actually won a, a Golden Globe for this film. That's great. Hopefully we'll be seeing more films um, that are written and orientated towards women. Absolutely. So what other films would you recommend um, for film clubs interested in learning more about these topics? Firstly, I'd say All the President's Men, which is a 15 and we have it at 14 plus. It's not a spoiler in any way to say that the events of the post run straight into the proceedings of All the President's Men. And so the two of these films would work really well as a double bill, particularly for anyone interested in learning more about this 
time in American history. Uh, and this is a classic drama which revels in investigative journalism and political corruption. It's got a brilliant screenplay, as well as two great performances from Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford. Secondly, I'd recommend Truth, which is 15 and again 14+. plus. Uh, Robert Redford is also in this, in fact, and the post owes a, a bit of a debt to this film as it did help pave the way somewhat for stories about women in journalism. It was released in 2015, but uh, not many people will have seen it, I don't think. It's about a woman called Mary Mapes, who was the head of CBS News at the time, and she chose to run a very controversial segment in the run-up to the 2004 presidential election in which they accused George W. Bush of draft dodging. It's a film all about sources and legalities and politics and ethics. It's a really fascinating watch about something which is a true story. And again, it features a very strong female character at its centre. And thirdly, I would recommend Good Night and Good Luck. This is a PG, although again, I would say for 14 plus audiences due to the content. Uh, it's George Clooney's second film as director. It's got a brilliant ensemble cast, including Clooney himself, as well as people like Jeff Daniels, Robert Downey Jr., Frank Langella, and Patricia Clarkson. But it's a character actor called David Strathain, uh, who excels in the lead role as Edward R. Murrow, a news presenter, uh, also on CBS News, in fact, who used his platform in the 1950s to challenge and attempt to break down the draconian politics of Senator Joseph McCarthy. Great, thank you for those. Um, the fourth film that I would recommend is called Spotlight, which is also about a group of journalists undergoing an investigation. In this case, it's the Boston Globe newspaper investigating allegations of child abuse within the Catholic Church. It is a very muted, yet very shocking film, which won an Oscar for Best Film. And fittingly, the other co-writer of The Post also wrote Spotlight. Oh, okay, great. We have a blog on The Post. It's called Political Corruption, Press Freedom and Gender Equality in The Post. And let's move on now to our second film, A Fantastic Woman. So A Fantastic Woman is a 15 certificate, 16 plus on our catalogue due to strong language, discriminatory behaviour and transphobic attacks. And it's a Chilean drama about a transgender woman who finds herself shut out following the sudden death of her boyfriend. Maria, can you tell us a little bit more about this Oscar-winning film? Yes, so the film follows uh, a woman called um, Mariana who lives in the city of Santiago and um, she works there as a singer and as a waitress during the day. Um, When her partner suddenly dies, she is treated with suspicion by his family and the local authority. Um, The film is very much about her process of coming to terms with her death and attempting to mourn, but having to face um, everyday transphobia and violence. So it sounds like the film deals with a very difficult subject matter in an interesting way. Could you talk about the tone of the film and the way it sort of shifts throughout? Yeah, it's definitely a very difficult film to watch. And I think um, it's important to note that some trans women have said it's really difficult to watch a film that depicts the experiences um, that they have every day um, quite relentlessly. But I also think the film is very important in that it shows some of the more subtle um, difficulties um, that trans women face. And also I think it's interesting because um, we're put in 
the position of a trans woman, we see how she experiences the world. And the film does this through a very kind of whimsical approach in which it depicts moments in which Mariana is daydreaming or her mind is drifting. Um, it's not just constantly about the action that's happening. Which acts as a sort of escapism for both the character and the audience, presumably, a, a kind of respite for both of us. Yeah, it gives us much needed moments of relief um, from what is happening, but also gives more dimension and details to uh, Mariana's character. Like, we really connect with her throughout the film. The film is very interesting in that we, we're we not actually given much information about her before the start of the film, but we find out more as the story develops. And how about the more sort of fantastical elements? Yeah, so there's a lot of elements of magical realism in this. Um, so there's a recurring sound of strings that plays when Mariana is facing a moment of difficulty and it kind of signals her resilience. There is also a very surreal storyline, which I won't spoil, but it's very much like a Pedro Almodovar film. And it captures her kind of internal turmoil and also her physical sleep deprivation and pain. You could also certainly describe the film as being um, incredibly melodramatic. The script is very punchy, um, which just highlights the tensions of the interactions Mariana's having, um, but also kind of draws attention to the internal anger that she's feeling. Besides all of that, there are also moments of joy, um, which are very beautiful. Um, there are spontaneous um, dance numbers in which Mariana kind of escapes her reality and they're beautifully lit in pink and blue hues. It's just a very beautiful film that also shows her desire to kind of retrieve back to her normal life. And this film won the 2018 Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film, which is a huge milestone for transgender cinema. What do you think it is that sets this film apart and why do you think it's been received with such high praise? I think it's still incredibly rare for us to see characters that are transgender actually played by transgender people. Um, so if we just look back at some of the most recent films um, with transgender women in them, like The Danish Girl and Dallas Buyers Club, they're all played um, by cisgendered men um, who are dressing up as trans women, which is quite problematic but also might be reflective of kind of what we as society assume a transgender person is. I think also this is just a really powerful film because of Daniela Vega who plays uh, Mariana who is incredibly um, powerful as an actress. She sometimes doesn't even say much but we can feel the emotions that she's going through. And it just proves that we need more transgender women in film generally because the complexity that she was able to bring to this character is just absolutely amazing. And I guess it adds a sort of authenticity to, to the performance as well. Yeah, of course. And I think it's of note that the central character is someone who actually has a very normal life. She has a pretty normal job, a relationship, and is kind of just trying to figure her life out as any woman in their late 20s will be doing also I think it's very authentic because it's not a film that's focusing on the coming out aspect of a transgender person's life but just about the everyday realities hopefully this film will draw more attention 
um, to the need for these kind of stories. And hopefully they'll also be directed by transgender people more often. Yeah, and the film has also been compared to Almodovar films. It was co-produced by Maranada, who did Tony Erdman, and it's also produced by Pablo Lorraine, who did No and Jackie. Uh, and I think having these names involved and attached also lends the film a lot of weight. We have an interview on our YouTube channel with the director, Sebastian Lelio, uh, and he had this to say. The inspiration, I mean, you know, each film has like a pantheon of uh, films that you're watching in that particular moment. In my case, it's more than films, it's songs and, um, I don't know, literature, different things that are like floating around when, you, when, when you're writing or filming a particular uh, project. And in this case, um, I don't know, like, uh, you know, the windstorm sequence, oh, yeah. that's Buster Keaton. And then uh, when she's flying in the, um, in the dance floor and all that sequence, that's, um, that's more like Babsy Berkeley, okay. you know? Um, so I was like, oh, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can do a, like a salutation to, to things I've loved for so many years. And this, this film seems to have the capacity to, to contain all this. Uh, finally, for this episode, for anyone who rates A Fantastic Woman, what else would you recommend they watch? So I would really recommend a very beautiful film called XXY, which is about an intersex teenager who is taken to Argentina by her parents to escape the stigma that um, she's facing for her identity. The film is really similar to A Fantastic Woman in that we very much center on a character's determination, very much like Mariana does in the film. The second film I would recommend is also a melodrama by Pedro Almodovar called um, Volver, um, which I think you can see the influences in A Fantastic Woman. And it's about a woman dealing with the loss of her mother who bizarrely visits her many years later. The third film that I would recommend is a very different film in terms of narrative. It's a film called The Fit, um, which is about a tomboy who is practicing to be part of a dance troupe in her local gym. The film has a lot of the same elements of musical and magical realism, which a fantastic woman has. And it's very much about how the character um, goes through uh, different stages of daydreaming. And we also have a blog called A Fantastic Woman and 10 Great Transgender Films in which we recommend some other great titles related to this subject. That's everything for today. Thanks for listening. Do check out our previous podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback on our podcasts, any comments you have on previous episodes or suggestions of which films and topics we can cover in the future. So do get in touch on Facebook, Twitter or via email. And if you're also interested in primary content, we have a new podcast episode available featuring Pixar's Coco. We'll be back with a new episode in September after the summer break. Bye.